Welcome to the RodeoKids.com podcast. I am your host, Camry Widmer, and I get to record from sunny Arizona today. It has been awesome to escape the cold, frigid winter of Iowa and come out here. Uh, I got to come with my mom to the Art of the Cowgirl, and I'm spending some time with some friends here in Cave Creek while she's in Queen Creek. And I got to ride in the Sonora Desert and see all the awesome saguaro cactus, cacti, I hope I pronounced that correctly. Got to rope this morning and we're just enjoying soaking up the sun and getting some work done while we're at it. So today we recorded a podcast with Brooke Gray, who is a family friend, and she has been our equine dentist for the last probably five, six, seven years, and she does an awesome job, and when she's there, you are reaching up inside of that horse's mouth, and she is explaining things and pointing them out and just does a great job of educating her clients as to what's going on with their horses and how they can prevent it, how they can fix it, how they can maintain it. And so she's just been a really great teacher for us. And she has a lot to offer as an equine dentist, a rodeo competitor, and a rodeo mom. So we are going to turn it over to Brooke and hear what she has to say. Welcome to the RodeoKids.com podcast, where we empower youth to be their best selves through the values and traditions of the rodeo and Western lifestyle. All right, welcome to the RodeoKids.com podcast. Today we have Brooke Gray with us, who is an equine dentist, and she's also a rodeo mom and a competitor herself, so she has lots of experience and a lot of awesome things to share. We've had you as our equine dentist for five, six years, seven years now. Absolutely. Yes. And she does a fantastic job. And what's really cool about the way that Brooke does it is that she also like lets you get in there. She explains everything she does. And to me, that is a big green light. Like that's an awesome thing when you've got a dentist or a vet or a chiropractor or anybody who will go and explain what they're doing and let you experience it. That means that they're confident and they're comfortable in what they're doing. And if they don't, that's one that's a red flag. So I really appreciate everything that you do, Brooke, because uh, you do a great job. Absolutely. Well, thank you very much. And uh, thank you for having me on here. This is super awesome. Um, I appreciate you asking me to do this. And, you know, honestly, with my job, I honestly treat my um, clients as I would want to be treated. That was one of the biggest things for me. Um, like you said, going to veterinarians, going to all these different um, places, I want to be involved. I want to know what you're doing. So it's the same thing for me. I want people to know what I do before, after, and be as involved as they want to be. So, yeah. yeah. Well, and I'm sure like when they, like as a horse owner myself, the more questions I ask and the more help I get, the more like I get to prevent things from happening in the future. And the more that I understand the better equipped I am as a horse owner. And it makes your job easier too, because I'm catching things before because I'm educated. Absolutely. I mean, you know, you and I've been through it multiple times. I show up and you're like, Hey, this one's got something going on. You know, 
you're, you're you're educated because maybe in the past I've said, well, this one has you know hooks and ramps, and it's you know thrown its head this way or it's sideways. And so, I mean, just like anything else. Um, but yeah, you're more educated. Um, you know, I think equine dentistry is something that has grown so much over the last multiple decades. It used to be um, something you know you can't see in their mouth. You have no mm-hmm. clue. People um, always put a bigger bit in something like that instead of, you know, investigating more in the mouth. So it's just awesome how much the dentistry has grown and um, people are understanding that how important it really is. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. And we'll get into all of that as we go through the podcast, but let's start at the beginning with how you got involved in horses and rodeo. Did you grow up with it or how did that, how did you get your start? No, great question. So um, I grew up in Southern Iowa on um, a ranch. Um, My father was the manager for over 50 years. So I grew up in the horse and cattle industry. Um, My siblings, I've got three siblings. I've got two brothers and a sister. My eldest brother, Brian, he always rodeoed and roped and had that passion, Uh, but he was the only one. So I kind of followed in his footsteps. Um, I got some lessons early on when I was very young from um, a couple great competitors um, in the Iowa Rodeo Association um, and fell in love with it, fell in love with the team roping, fell in love with the breakaway. So um, they had high school rodeo. I'm like, I want to do this. I want a high school rodeo. And my parents were absolutely amazing supporters of me, not doing it themselves, but they, they supported and, you know, got me the horses that I needed and uh, went from there. Um, so yeah, went to high school rodeo and then did some like IRCAs, URAs, um, which those are amateur rodeo associations in the Midwest. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, and I uh, met my now husband when I was younger and he also rodeoed and roped. So um, competed uh, with him as well in, you know, Missouri. Um, but uh, so that's where I kind of got my rodeo start um, and where I grew up um, out of high school. I actually graduated early and um, went and worked for a veterinarian in Des Moines, Iowa or Runnels, Dr. Brad Gordon, um, yes, thinking that that. that do it. I didn't realize that you had worked under him at all. So that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. I worked for him for quite a while. Um, thinking that I was going to be a veterinarian. That was my passion. I wanted to, I wanted to help animals. I wanted to, um, do that kind of thing, but working for him and the long hours and, um, I loved the work, but I hated the hours. I wanted more of, um, not having to be married to the job. Mm-hmm. That was just a personal experience, you know, for me, I, I wanted more. So um, after I left working for Brad, I started looking for different things that I could do, still helping horses, but, you know, I wanted to be able to have a family and not be called out in the middle of the night for emergency calls, you know, 24 seven. So I looked into chiropractics, I looked into acupuncture um, and actually Troy, my husband, he uh, used to sell living quarter trailers and he ran across this gentleman that did equine dentistry. And I went with him for about two weeks and fell in love with it. So um, I got, I got, um, I did end up going to college. I went to and got my associates so I could have some sort of college background because working with animals, we all know that, you know, 
in about in a matter of two seconds, you could be working and then not. So I wanted some kind of college to to back up on. So I went to um, Moberly Area Community College and got my associates, and then after that went to Equine Dental School in Glensbury, Idaho. Ah, and how far is that from where you're at right now in Idaho? Uh, not very far, actually. <laughs> um, probably, I don't know, what is it, two or three hours at least? Okay, gotcha, gotcha. What made you go all the way to Idaho for that? Is that just the only place that has it, or? No, there are multiple. There are multiple places that have um, the equine dentistry school. There's a one in Texas. Um, the gentleman that started the schooling in Texas actually learned from Dale Jeffries, whom is the gentleman that started the schooling in Idaho. He originally started it in Nebraska, but moved it to Idaho. Um, so the reason I, I picked Idaho was because the gentleman that I had went with, um, John Fortcamp, was the dean of that school. So the gentleman that I traveled with, he he that's where you know he taught at so um, I kind of already had that that in my mind that I wanted to you know train with him because at that point in time John Fort Camp he and still is he is still probably one of the best equine dentists running up and down the roads you know he he's he's an amazing amazing dentist so yeah that's awesome how many so there's lots of different equine well, I guess not lots of different equine, but there are different equine dentistry schools. And then from my understanding, there are people who can get certified to do it, but not have to go to school. Is that right? Or does everybody have to go to a certain amount of school? Or is there, is there, I guess a better way to phrase the question, is there a difference between equine dentistry school and being a vet that can do dentistry? Okay. So there's, that's kind of like a tricky thing. There are people out there going up and down the road that have never even went to school, that have traveled with somebody and call themselves an equine dentist, okay? okay? They've not even had any schooling wise, they just go with an equine dentist and say, all right, here I am, I'm that type of thing. Um, like the schooling that I went to, I did it a little differently like um, they want you to go three times to be certified, okay? Um, so for me, um, my first time out there, I went and um, did the schooling. I did extra schooling as far as like head and neck anatomy, did um, like aging classes, that type of deal. I, I did a few more that I, I didn't have to, but I wanted to. Um, then after that, instead of coming back out in offering my services, cause I was so green, I didn't want to work on horses and not know what I was doing. I mean, I didn't want to practice on other people's horses. So I did a five month apprenticeship in Colorado with um, one of my stall leaders from um, school. And I promise you that's where I learned everything. It was one-on-one -on -one, um, direct contact with him and a veterinarian. And I learned so, so very much from, from that experience alone, so. Yeah, well, cause when you're doing that, like it's not just about what you can see, I'm sure, like, like anything, you know, what you see on the surface and you can take off the, the ridges and the ramps and stuff, but knowing the anatomy and knowing how it functions deeper inside of the jaw and the head and the neck and all of that is really important to understand that you're not just rasping off sharp edges. Absolutely. I mean, what a lot of people don't know, and still to this day, um, when I start on a horse, you work on their front and sizers, which honestly, before I had even went to school, I'd never seen anybody work on my horse's front and sizers before. But if you think about it, if the fronts aren't right, the backs aren't right. 
incisors. We have a pretty wide group of people who listen to this. And so like when we talk about like front incisors, is that like your very front teeth that you can see or? Yes. So the front incisors are, there's six on top and six on bottom. So when you open your horse's lips and your mouth, you can see their front incisors. And so then there's a gap. It's called the bars. There's a gap that has no teeth um, in between the front incisors and the molars. So, um, it, you know, like when you work on the fronts and if they're off, the molars are going to be off. And then if the molars are off, then their jaw is going to be off. And then it can just keep continually going back farther and farther and farther. Um, so that's why we want to work on not just the teeth, but again, um, you know, I work with a lot of chiropractors. Hey, your horse, he, uh, he, he's out in the jaw. You need to see a chiropractor. And that's why your horse is doing this, 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 and this. Um, it can even go as far as, you know, feet being bad. Um, really? Yes. So their feet can be bad from their teeth? From, well, I mean, just anything else. So let's say that your jaw is completely out and your horse is holding its head this way and it goes back to the neck. The whole entire neck is completely out. And then they're holding themselves and they're carrying themselves a completely opposite way. And it can affect their hips. It can affect their, their shoulders. It can affect everything if their TMJ or something is not out chiropractically. Huh, I guess like, I mean, obviously it makes sense when you talk about it like that, but you don't really think about that. Like it makes sense. Okay. The jaw's off, the neck's off, the pole's off. Okay. That makes sense. But if they're off there and they're off balance, then one thing affects everything. And so that's kind of cool to know. And it's a good thing, I think, for everybody who listens to remember that if you're having a lot of problems, like that's a good place to start. Absolutely. And, you know, it necessarily doesn't have to start from like the teeth aspect of it. It could have been the jaw went out and then the teeth got bad and so on and so forth. You know, what comes first, the chicken or the egg? Um, you know, the, the TMJ can go out because of teeth issues or it can go out because of structural issues. So I'm not just for, for say, saying, you know, the teeth are bad, their feet are going to be bad. It's just, uh, you know, a domino effect. Right. How many teeth does an average horse have? Well, a horse can have up to 44 teeth and that is including canines, which male horses normally will get mares or the females, um, most of the time will not get. Um, those are the teeth that are their, their tusks. They're right behind the, the front incisors. Um, so with those, they'll get four. And then that also includes the wolf teeth, the extra teeth that are the pains in the rear ends for young horses or colts that need to be extracted. So um, they can have 44, um, but you know, the most they're gonna have is the six on top, six on bottom in their, on their, their front incisors. And then each row of four, they'll have six. So. Okay. Interesting. I knew that they had lots of teeth, but I didn't know. Because you, you just, I didn't have a reason to. So that's you really that's a fun fact. Yeah. yeah, how long is a horse's tongue? Oh, <laughs> that's a good question, honestly. So in the head and neck anatomy class, um, we got to dissect, you know, the whole head, the half of the head, and their tongue is massive. I mean, as far as like a, a length that I could give you, I, I honestly would be throwing a guess in the air. Um, yeah. But they are one of the biggest, strongest <laughs> uh, muscles that I, I can even remotely think of. Um, 
yeah, I don't know how long it is, honestly. They, <laughs> it's got to be like, always at least. Yeah, it's always fascinated me when you put the, what do you call the thing that you put on to open their mouth? The speculum? Yes, yes, the speculum. When you put that on and open it up and you look down in there and you're like, oh my gosh, like, you know that they have big heads, but you don't realize that it's like, it's their mouth and it goes, how, like, where does it usually, if you were looking at a horse and you were to tell somebody over the phone or over a Zoom, where the, where it starts, like, is it up? like below their eyes or is there kind of a way to know where it starts without opening it oh my gosh so like the muscle on the cheek muscle on the side so if you look at that at the back of the cheek muscle like straight in it's still like up into that area going down so I mean it's almost at the crease of their their neck I mean it will go back down to their throat it's it I can stick my whole entire arm and be past my elbow in the back of a horse's mouth. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's super long. <laughs> yeah. Wow. And it's crazy because, you know, like you said just a little bit ago, we can't see all of that. All we can really see are the front six teeth, top and bottom and the bars. And then maybe if your horse is tolerant, then you can see the front ones, like your wolf teeth and what comes after that. But there's so much up there. So because we can't see it, um, what are some things that people can do to know if their horse's teeth need done? That's awesome that you asked that. Okay, so I I know that, that people think, you know, well, I'm not going to have my horse's teeth done unless they're showing me problems. You know, I, I'm looking for dropping of the grain or fussing with bits and that kind of thing. But you should have your horse's teeth looked at when you start riding them. If, if they're two years of age, um, you need to have their teeth started to be worked on because horses' teeth are sharp. They are sharp by the way they eat. So it's um, something that reoccurs. So you go in there at two years of age, you float the sharp points off. The way that they eat in that circular motion constantly produces sharp points. So floating is the reason we float is because they get sharp. So we want to go in there. We want to take the, the, the points off every six to eight months when they're babies. So like two, three, four, you want to get your teeth done every six to eight months. After that, you can normally do them about once a year and maintain. Mm-hmm. Um, so some of the things that you want to look for if you're having issues, um, like I said earlier, cocking of the head, um, gapping of the mouth, throwing your head, um, weight loss, a bad smell in a horse's mouth. Um, yeah, there's, there's all different kinds of things, but if you keep a maintenance and you keep your yearly maintenance, that type of deal, most of the time your horses won't have the tossing of the head and that kind of problem. Um, I get calls all the time. Well, my horse is, you know, throwing its head in this and this and this, well, how long has it been since your teeth have been done? Well, they've never been done. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you just keep them on that maintenance, most of the time you won't have any issues or problems. Yeah, that's like a lot of times, you know, with the performance pony company, I sell a lot of bits and they have 
a lot of people who are still pretty novice because they're just buying their first pony or their kids showing a lot of interest and or even there's some really quality horse people out there and they think well they're just ponies and they want to change the bit to be more aggressive but if we don't the first question i ask them is have you had your horse's teeth done because or your pony's teeth done because ponies need their teeth done just like a horse does and if them especially because most ponies are somewhat neglected because they're ponies um that if their teeth are good, I can sell you my entire collection of bits and I can give you as much training and as many lessons and as many videos. And you can go to every professional in the world and they're not going to fix that problem until their teeth are taken care of. Absolutely. I agree with you wholeheartedly. Yeah. Um, a lot of people think that, you know, my, my horse is being bad. I'm going to put in more aggressive pin win. Already, most of the time, you just need a little more comfortable, put a good bit seat in, and their their world has changed. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, what are some things that happen in the horse's mouth if you don't get their teeth done and you don't take care of them? So the biggest question I get is, how do horses in the wild, how did they survive? You know, um, why should we get our teeth loaded if the horses in the wild survived, you know? So horses can live with their teeth sharp, but when we put a bit in their mouth, when we ask them to perform, when we ask them to do all this stuff with um, pain going on, that's where it changes. Um, the reason there are more, there are more problems that can actually happen in a horse's mouth than just sharp points. They can have ramps. The other day I did a horse. Um, this horse is in great flesh, perfect condition, but he had ramps in the back of his mouth that were so high, they'd actually drilled a hole through the top of his jaw. This horse should have flipped over on this gentleman and, you know, caused all kinds of problems, but, you know, he didn't. So this horse was not showing his owner any problems, but was in so much pain. Wow. And, you know, bless his heart. So, yeah, I... And they can get abscesses from that rubbing and like they can get sores on their tongue and their cheeks, can't they? They can. They can get uh, ulcers cheek-wise, tongue-wise, um, you know, horses in the wild going back to that. If they got an abscess tooth and no one was there to take it, they would just die off. You know, I mean, they didn't have the maintenance. Their life expectancy wasn't near as long as what our horses this day and age um, are, you know, living to. I've got a gray horse um, who's going to be 31 this year. And wow. I've taken care of his teeth for the last 19 years. He's got an awesome set of molars. He's genetically, you know, blessed in that aspect as well. But if you keep up with the maintenance, these horses are, are you know, performing and lasting so much longer than horses in the wild would. Well, and I think it's important to remember that most of the horses that live in the wild are in places where it's rocky, where it's sandy, and the things that they're grazing on probably naturally grind down their teeth to some extent. And as you said, they're not being used for performance. All they have to do is survive. And we're asking these horses to be athletes. We're asking them to take care of our children. We're asking them to take care of us. We're asking them to behave. We're asking them to do these 
high tech maneuvers that horses in the wild also don't ever get asked to do. So they don't need it. But as we ask these horses to be domesticated and to perform at a high level, just like any athlete, we take care of our professional athletes, we take care of our college athletes, we take care of our high school athletes, you know, they get their teeth done, they get physical fitness, they get, they go to the gym, they go to the chiropractor, they do all of these things. So why would we do any less for our horses that we are asking to compete at whatever level it is? So it's just, part of asking a horse to be an athlete and do a job. Absolutely. I agree with you wholeheartedly. One of the things that I do whenever um, I'm working on horses, the first thing I'll do when I get back and open a horse's mouth up is first of all, show the owners. And then I actually ask them if they'll stick their hand in the mouth and feel. And yes. Most That's one of my favorite things. I love yes. doing that. You have your little headlamp on and you're like, oh, see up in there. And you're, you have like their tongue to the side and you're reaching up in there. And that's cool. It, it, it really is. And it gives people, you know, they can sit there and look at it and go, yeah, that looks sharp. But then you actually stick your hand back there and I'll tell them, be careful because it will cut your finger. Mm-hmm. So if it's so sharp that it will cut your fingers by touching it, think what it's doing to their tongue, to their cheeks, when you put a bit in their mouth and it's pulling that cheek all the way to the side. Um, you know, again, it, it's, it's, it's horrendous. Yeah. But then you throw in confirmational problems on top of that. Let's say we've got hooks and ramps, which they are, are something that will completely lock a horse's jaw. To where they can't move so you throw that in and you're asking them to go out and perform and they're like oh my heaven's sakes it hurts so bad you know yeah. so um yeah it's it's neat for people to get the concept of feeling actually how completely sharp it is and and how it feels to the horse yeah can you explain what a hook and a ramp is and like, aren't there waves too there's a wave, there's all different kinds of things. So when you're looking in the back of the mouth, so I have the, the horse's mouth opened up and um, you can see the four quadrants, which way it's a row of teeth, the four. So on the very bottoms, the very back tooth is ramped up. So it looks like a huge ramp and there's nothing growing. There's not a tooth all the way to the back of there that it's touching on that very back piece. So it'll grow up. And like I said earlier, I had a horse last week that that grew up so much that it's cut into the jaw. Now on that would be on the bottoms. Now a hook would be on the very top in the very front tooth. So it hooks down. So if you've got the front on the top and the very back on the bottom, there's no motion forward, you know, forward and backwards. Yeah. Um, a wave all the time. Exactly. And a wave is exactly what it sounds like. So you're looking down the, the row of teeth and it looks like a big ocean wave. So it's really high in the center and then it levels back off in the back. Um, again, the horse has no forward backward motion, um, very hard for them to chew or eat, masticate any of their feed. Um, they'll drop a lot of grain, that type yeah. of thing. The horse, when they eat, they're grinding that food up in that circular motion. Is that right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. So if you have a wave and they can only grind on a three inch area when they're teeth are 16 inches, a row of 16 inches of teeth. And if they can only use that three inches, that can probably not only can they not grind up their feed like they need to, but it can probably cause them to choke from time to time too, if their food isn't chewed up like it needs to be. Absolutely. Um, you'll find that a lot of, a lot of times with horses, um, that either have a wave or, you know, at a certain point in a horse's life, their teeth do like give up. They, um, 
they're not like rats and rabbits and that type of thing. Rats and rabbits' teeth grow throughout their whole entire life. Our teeth don't grow at all. We're, when they grow in, they don't constantly grow. Horses' teeth are, they have a root system, and they'll grow about an eighth of an inch a year until that, that tooth is done. And then they'll start what we call cupping out. So it just looks like this, this cup. Well, there's no chewing um, function to it at all. So when an older horse and their teeth are done, you'll find that they, they do choke a lot more because they, they can't masticate. So at that point in time, then we make this huge mush and give them like a big soup. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or they do like, isn't senior feed usually a softer, more palatable type of feed? Yeah, senior feed, um, it's made to like pretty much just explode in their mouth though, so they don't really even have to chew it. Okay, yeah, that's good to know. I knew it was something along those lines, but I wasn't sure um, exactly what it was. Do horses have baby teeth? They do, yes. Okay. So all of their front incisors are baby teeth when they come in. So when you talk about like a, a, a newborn, they're milk teeth. So the first four, they get it six to eight days. Oh, wow. Next, I didn't know it was that early. Yep. The next set is six to eight weeks and the last set, and I'm talking about a set of four. So their central four, their next one's over and then their next one's over. So it's six to eight days, six to eight weeks, six to eight months. Huh. So that's cool. That's when they get them. Okay. So when they lose them as baby teeth, they'll lose all six on top and bottom. So they'll lose the first central four at two and a half, three and a half and four and a half. Okay. okay. And then their molars, they'll actually, actually lose those as well. Um, so the molars are a little bit more complex. Um, they'll have six teeth in a row. The first three, when they come in, um, again, the same. Um, mm -hmm. as, and they'll lose them at two and a half, three and three and a half. So those are six months apart. The incisors are for, um, one year apart. So the first three, the back three, they'll come in at one, two, and three years of age as permanents. But God. yes, they have baby teeth and they're, they're just like little kids. When little kids are um, teething, they're grumpy. They can run a, a low grade fever. You know, it's, that, it's mm -hmm. the same for horses. Um, when they have a retained cap, again, it's, it's something that can cause bidding issues problematic. Um, a lot of, uh, if you get a retained or a stuck cap, it can cause an infection, that type mm -hmm. of thing. So that's why we do your younger horses every six to eight months to make sure yeah. that they don't have caps. That's cool. I didn't know all, I didn't know a lot of this. I mean, I knew it's important, but I didn't know the details of it. So that's great knowledge to have. And the two, you know, like we had the two-year-olds and three-year-olds that you came and did last year. Okay. And we don't typically have horses that young, but you know, we had these two-year-olds and so we had you look at them and the one horse, I hadn't even thought to look in his mouth because he wasn't even halter broke. And all of a sudden you open it up and, oh, he's parrot mouthed. <laughs> that's kind of a surprise. And can you talk a little bit about what that is and maybe some of the other things that people would want to look for when they buy horses and if it's a make it or break it type of deal and kind of how to stay on top of that stuff? Absolutely. So um, there is a difference between like a parrot mouth horse and like an overbite or an overjet. Um, so when horses teeth, if you guys ever want to, I mean, I can't like show you right now, but um, looking at a horse's mouth, if you put their head up, a horse will have just a slight little over 
um, on their from their top to the bottom, that is normal when you raise their head up. Now, if it's like almost to the back of the front incisors, the bottoms are almost to the back, that's a little bit more of an overbite, okay? So if you have a parrot mouth, it's just like a parrot's beak. So when you're looking at a parrot, the bottom teeth of a horse would be completely underneath of the top, um, which can cause a lot of problems for a horse, um, especially in their molars. Um, if their fronts are that far off, their molars are that far off. That type of horse would have hooks and ramps pretty much their whole entire life and would need maintenance probably every six to eight months for the rest of its life because of the growth. Um, can they still nip grass? Yes, they can. Um, they'll use their tongues. A lot of people will think, oh my gosh, my horse is parrot mouth and they are not going to be able to nip grass when, when all reality, they, they really can. I actually have a horse in Southern Missouri who has no bottom jaw. She has none. I mean, you can't even get a speculum on her because she has nothing to put it on. And she uh, is in great condition. She nips grass with her tongue and gets along very well. Huh. But um, I, yeah, I never had heard of that. That's nuts. Yeah. But I mean, you know, can you have a horse that's parrot mouth and have a, a functioning horse and a healthy horse and happy horse? Yes. It's just going to take a little bit more maintenance. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The one that we have, he's the three-year-old now. And I think you've looked at him twice now because you came back in the fall. And so I just had you do him while you were there, but you know, he's, you would, I would have never known and working with him and putting a bit in his mouth and riding him, which he's still pretty green, but like, he's never rejected or objected the bit or anything like that. He rides just like a regular two or three year old would, but we are staying on top of that. So that makes a big difference. Yes. But again, I bet anytime that you go to buy a young horse, you look now, don't you? I mean, if I can get close to them, I mean, I don't know. If we, we didn't even, these suckers weren't even halter broke when we bought them. So I don't know if we could have, but yes, we will definitely. And it's one of those things. It's just like horses feet, you know, like you look at them and you know that it's important and you know that their teeth are important, but you get excited and you buy them anyway. Yep. And so we're, we're learning our lessons the hard way. And the more times we learn them, the better they sink in. So we're, I've, we're I've, I promise you, I have been in that very situation. I think all of us have. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Well, and like with him, you know, he's still an awesome horse. Like he's, I don't regret buying him. I don't mind feeding him. I think that he is going to be, he's an athlete. He's talented, but just like you said, you know, we keep an eye on it. We know he's got it. We're aware of it. And so with that maintenance, we can keep him comfortable and know what's coming. We can prevent a lot of problems just by being on top of it and being ahead of it. Absolutely. Um, you know, and, and that's, that's a great, a great thing to say, but it is a genetic trait. So like, let's say if you had him as a stallion, um, people would want to understand that he can pass that along to his offspring. Um, okay. so he might not necessarily, but he could, he could, yes, it's not a hundred percent thing, but, um, you know, it, it's, it's something that can happen. So if there's a mare that has it, it's probably better not to reproduce just unless you're doing it for personal purposes. But if you're looking for a brood mare to reproduce a lot, you might look for something that's not paramount. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Is there Again, anything, it, is there like, oh, sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, you know, unless you're, it's some, it's a trait that doesn't want to be passed on. Honestly, it, it really is. Cause it's, it is a lot of maintenance to, to continually keep these horses up. Um, like I said earlier, you can have a functioning horse with a parrot mouth, but it's just, 
a better trait not to pass that along if you can. So yes, I would probably not have a broodmare that is paramount. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good thing to look for. And especially for the kids who are coming up who don't just are unaware of this, you know, this is a great educational learning opportunity for things to look at as you go throughout your life and you buy and sell horses. And even if you're just buying one here and there, it's still important to have your checklist of things to look over and never let anybody intimidate you about what you are looking at in a horse. You get to take that time if you're putting your money up to look in that horse's mouth. And if they won't let you, walk away. If they won't let you pick up their feet, walk away. If the owner is is not letting you do any of that kind of stuff or hesitant to answer any of those questions, walk away because there's something going on and there's a reason. And if you're being rushed to make that decision, it's a decision you don't want to make. Absolutely. That's a great point. You will not believe the pictures that I get from people all over the United States. Hey, can you fix this? Is this bad? Um, you know, they're, they're very vigilant about I, this doesn't look quite right. And I'll say, yes, you, we're good, you know, or how old do you think he is? Or all these questions when they take pictures and send it to me. So um, yeah, it, it's, it's great to be, you know, knowledgeable and um, educated about some of these things. And like you said, if the owners are like, eh, I'd walk away as well. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Not that there aren't good ones out there that have issues and the maintenance can be totally worth it, especially in your older horses that you just need to go learn on. If they can teach you, pay for the maintenance, learn the lessons and move on. Like let them be your teachers. You know, we all have human teachers who they've got plenty of flaws, but they're amazing teachers, even if their teeth aren't, teeth aren't right. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes, very cool. So let's talk a little bit about you being a mom to a couple of kids as well. You've got two wonderful boys and they've been super fun to watch grow up. And Blaine is very involved in rodeo. He is the vice president of the junior high finals or the junior high association. Yes. So Blaine, my youngest, who is 13, is the national junior high vice president this year. Um, which is awesome. That's actually where I'm at right now is midwinter meeting in Idaho Falls with him. Um, but he's been in Arizona for the, the winter um, mm -hmm. team roping and the whole bit. Then I also have a 16 year old. Um, he's back in Missouri right now um, it, in school. Um, when they were little, uh, they spent a lot of time at Cami and Sharon's and Neil's. Uh, they loved going up and um, learning all of the things that they would teach them and the, the treadmill and the swimming yes. and all of that. <laughs> they still remember the treadmill, but oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> no, uh, Kimmy was always so wonderful with these kids and teaching and still to this day, you know, she's made a business out of it and, and it's, it's amazing what she's done, but, um, no, they always enjoyed going up there. Um, my oldest boy kind of got out of the, the horse deal. He broke his arm at a very young age and uh, never never went back with it, but that's totally fine. He shows cattle, um, he shoots trap and, and has a lot of other interests. When my, my youngest has kind of carried on and continued in with the horse industry and roping and breakaway and the whole bit. So, but it's tough, yeah. um, it's, it's a very tough thing trying to be a mom that travels um, a lot. Like I'm, I'm working on my March schedule right now and I'm probably gonna be home at least two days in the whole month. So, wow. um, but again, my boys have grown up that way. They've, they've known that I've traveled and it's kind of not a, you know, a difference, but it's still hard to be away from them. Yeah. So. 
So what is it like being, when you have two kids that do completely different things, like, you know, and, and my mom's kind of bad with that, but it's different because I'm 10 years after my siblings. So they were all kind of grown up and in high school until before I was really ever involved with it. So like, I kind of understand, but your kids are so close and they're interested in different things. Like, how do you balance that for, cause there's moms and dads who listen to this, who are in the same boat where one kid does one thing and the other kid just doesn't want to really, they don't care about it. They might appreciate it, but they don't care about it. Absolutely. I mean, Caden was down in Arizona with us here a couple weeks ago and I'm like, do you want to go and watch the roping? And he's like, mom, seriously, if I made you go to a tennis match, would you enjoy watching it all day? And I'm like, no, he's like, that's how I feel. Right. And I'm like, okay, I get it. So as far as how we, we manage it, you know, um, it's, it's a, it's a struggle. It's a struggle. Um, you've got two parents, you've got two different rigs. Um, like this fall or this spring, it's going to be a very, very hectic for Troy and I. Troy will probably take the, the truck and the trailer and the horses and he'll go with Blaine to the rodeos. I'm actually going to take another rig with Caden. He um, is on an elite team the, that shoots trap. So him and I are going to be traveling all over the mid United States um, with him on the trap deal. So um, there are going to be some weekends that we can all get together as a family and load up together and either go to Caden's trap shoots together or all go to Blaine's um, rodeos together. But uh, it can be, it can be a stressful thing, which I know in any, you know, industry, whether it be baseball or uh, dance or, or any of it, it's, it's kind of the same thing, but uh, you just, you put your nose to the grindstone, you make it work somehow. Yeah, you bet. Was there a time where, because you and Troy both rodeo too, and Blaine does that you, like, it was hard not to push Caden towards it? Or like, how did you, did he just flat out say, nope, I'm not doing it? Or like, how was that transition period? Because he was interested and then he wasn't. And like, how did you get through that part of it? Or if I you have what, any advice for parents getting through it since you've done it. Well, I, I will tell you what, it's one of the hardest things, honestly, um, with the whole entire family rodeoing and this child, um, at such a young age had such a natural ability to rope. Uh, he tied goats really, really well. And, and he was the Andy, honestly, just a natural at it. Um, and for, have, for having him just go, nope, I'm done. That, that was a struggle. More for me, I think, than Troy, um, just because I knew his potential and what he could do. Um, Caden always was really one of those, like I said, a natural. And Blaine always has been one that has to practice. He has to, like, get better by practicing all the time. Caden could wait two weeks and go out and rope and be just fine. So yeah. watching him just kind of give that up, I did, I, I pushed, I'm like, come on, do you want to go and ride with me today? Do you want to go up and rope? Um, can you come and like work the shoots and maybe ride a little bit? And he was pretty much just adamant, like negative, mom, I'm done. And it took me a couple of years to finally realize, you know, it's okay. Maybe someday he will want to come back to it. Maybe someday it will change. If yeah. not, that is totally fine. That small human has other things that he is interested in. And, you know, it's his passion. Mm -hmm. It's not my passion that I'm pushing on him that he wants nothing to do. It finally is like, I get it. I see it. Yeah. And you know, it, 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 as hard as it was for me to finally get through my head, it, it's him. It, it's his passion. And I support him with whatever he wants to do. Yeah. Um, Arizona, he'll go out and he'll rope the dummy. 
and he still can rope the dummy. Amazing. Um, he went to the wash and rode the desert and rode horses with us. And he wasn't being pushed or anything. He, he still will do that kind of stuff. But yeah, you just have to let these kids try to um, figure what they want out. And maybe someday they'll come back to it. And maybe they won't. Yeah. So. And if they don't, you know, he's, he's naturally talented at a lot of things. And so if it's, you know, and it's just like when I was in, um, just along that, along those lines, when I was in junior high, I just had no desire, even in elementary, like I piddled with it and I had, I had the horsepower, I had the facility, I had the parents, I had the opportunity, but it just wasn't, it didn't interest me. And, you know, I'd ride a little bit here and there, I'd do good here and there. And, then I just got to where I had no desire whatsoever. And so I played sports all throughout junior high and my parents didn't push me. They let me discover who I am and who I wanted to be and what my passions really were. And knowing my mom having four kids prior had some experience. So she kind of knew that if she pushed and pushed and pushed that it was going to push me further away. And I was, I am pretty athletic. And so you know, I was starting and everything and I, I could have definitely gone down that path, but something just clicked one day and it just snapped inside of me. And I would have been going to rodeos with my dad for whatever reason, just tagging along between my eighth grade and freshman year. And I decided that this is what I want to do. Like it just one day, one moment, yep. it was like, I went the next day and I told my dad, I said, Hey, I think I want a high school rodeo. And look at us now. I have two companies yep. that are all about it. So, for some people, that's the way it'll work. But for others, you know, they are going to find a different path and that's okay. It's not for everybody. Thankfully, yep. thankfully it's not for everybody. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Like you said, the more you push them, the harder sometimes they push against. So yeah, um, yeah just let them find their path. Yeah, you bet. So as a parent and doing this kind of stuff, like with Blaine, um, since it is rodeo kids, we'll go back to Blaine. How do you support Blaine? Like, is he a nervous kid? Is he a calm kid? And he's very competitive. You guys take him all over the place and you're providing so many amazing opportunities for him. And, and he's creating his own opportunities by stepping up and running for vice president. And it was so fun to see his campaign at the junior high finals and see his name plastered up. And I think people had t-shirts and pins and just all this stuff was such a cool experience. So he's also, you know, leaning into it and taking advantage of it, which is awesome. But how do you support him and his challenges? So um, support him. I've got so many things I could say to this right now. Supporting him as, as far as like his challenges go. Um, Blaine is kind of a short little feller. Um, He's built I like remember, your husband. Huh? He is a mini Troy. He is built just is, like your yes. husband. LT, he's little Troy. So he's yes. a short little feller. And I can remember taking him down to Guthrie, Oklahoma. And he was petrified of calf roping because he's like, how am I going to get back home? how am I going to get back on? Because mom, you guys aren't here to help me back on my horse. And I'm just, I, I don't want to do it. I'm going to be too embarrassed. You know, I can't get back on. So he actually took it upon himself. He, he braids a lot. He braids halters. He braids neck ropes. He does all this different kind of braiding as well. Um, he went and braided himself a little loop and he attached it to his stirrup. And he did this all like by himself. And his dad um, was seeing what he was doing. And he's like, what are you doing, Blaine? He's like, I'm going to be able to get back on my horse and I'm not going to get made fun of. And so he, he has actually made multiple of these for other kids throughout everywhere 
So, you know, the, the short kids can get on their big, tall horses and use it as a climb up ladder. There's a little rope that goes on his stirrup. He pulls it down. He steps up in it and gets on his horse. Oh, so um, that's awesome. So when um, we, he actually is on the NRS all-star trailer team as well. And one of the questions has been, what is one of your biggest, uh, you know, things that you've had to overcome, like, you know, your struggles. And he, he told him all about that. And, um, one of, that's one of the things that, you know, they were like, it's awesome that, you know, you, you fixed the solution and you didn't even have your parents do that. So, um, you know, Blaine is, a, a really calm kid. I mean, he's nothing like me. I get all nervous and stuff when I'm getting ready back in the box for a big type of thing. He's not, he's all like, what? It's just another calf, you know? Yeah. Um, when he, Arizona, him and Colby Fletcher, they won $4,000 and he was just like, I just backed in the box and just roped him. We were like a seven. It's no big thing. You know? Yeah. Um, he apparently gets that from his dad because not from me. Yeah. <laughs> I've been around you when you're about to rope and it's like, well, there's a lot of, when he's about to rope. Oh my gosh. It's, it's a lot of energy <laughs> there, which is cool though. But you also, you equipped them pretty well to learn how to saddle their own ponies. Am I right about that? Yes. So when they were little bitty, we actually, um, in the barn, we put this big pipe across with a pulley system on it. So Caden and Blaine could actually bring their ponies into the barn and put the saddle up on the pulley. And one of them would pull the horse underneath and the other would drop the pulley and they saddled when they were tiny, tiny. That's so, awesome. um, yeah, I mean, they, we helped them as much as we could, but at the points when we weren't there, we were busy. We're like, guys, you got to figure this out. You mm -hmm. know, I've seen lots of kids do it on buckets or, or something like that, but we actually yeah. had a police system that I used to do on in the barn and we just hung it up with that so it worked good yeah and that's you know I've learned a lot about that lately and in all my lessons whether they're four years old or they're 40 years old they learn how to ride or how to saddle their own horses and ponies they brush them they yeah. saddle them like I might hold the stirrup up but they are pushing and those suckers are tougher than we give them credit for at every yeah. age I mean and to think about like when you look at how busy a kid is and how much they're pulling themselves up and pushing and prodding and playing and they're constantly active and so they're really quite strong to begin with but um I learned about the difference between helping and supporting and there was this example that somebody came in and they said um this dad's little girl asked her asked him hey hey dad I can't peel this banana can you help me and so the dad took the banana and he peeled it for him for the little girl and so she ate the banana and everything was fine. The next day, the babysitter was there and she said, hey, I don't know how to peel this banana. Can you help me? And she said, well, I think that maybe if you go into the kitchen and you find a way to get it cut in half, then maybe you can try to peel it that way and you can figure out how to do it yourself. And so the example was just that the dad helped her, whereas the babysitter supported her in figuring out how to do it on her own. And that created the ingenuity that created the way that, or she just told her that if she went into the kitchen and found a way to, to, to cut it or break it, that she could probably figure it out. And so she broke it in half and then she peeled it from the sides. She never actually told her how to do it. She just gave her the opportunity and a clue to get to the next step. And I think too often what I see is it, from an outsider's point of view and from lessons is that so many parents, it's just, it's a time thing. But if we would take the time and create the solution for them for five to 10 minutes for a week, 
then they would be able to do it on their own. Like you guys created the pulley system and, and then Blaine now creates his own solutions to his problems because you taught him how to do that at a very young age and you took the time to create a solution for him. That's kind of a lot. I, I promise you, absolutely. absolutely. And it's funny going to rodeos now because when he was younger, you know, you had to make sure, oh, do you have your ropes? Do you have your breakaway rope? Do you need help or something? And now, it's like I go to the rodeos and I'm I'm a rodeo mom I sit in the stands he doesn't need any help at all he is self-sufficient so I'm kind of like um what do I what do I do you know well, yeah. mom club, you know I mean he he does everything he gets up he feeds his own horses we we don't do it we um we make him when we don't make him he he wants to he wants to do it he saddles his own horses he puts everything away um when he goes up to team rope he's got his own rope we we are just pretty much there to drive him and spectate. Um, yeah. But again, you're right. You know, we've given him those tools to do that for himself. Like I, I still see so many parents out there saddling their horses, their kids' horses. They're grown. These 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 kids yeah. are grown. You know, if these kids want this that bad, they need to do it themselves. But again, everyone to their own. Right. Yep. To each their own for sure. It's just. Uh, I think we all sometimes need to step back and question. How much are we, we're, with all the best intentions, I know every parent loves their kids and they have the best of intentions, but at what point are we hindering them instead of helping them? Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. Well, we are just about out of time. So the last couple of things that I like to ask are like, what's some advice that you have um, for kids who are coming up, whether it's getting into equine dentistry, uh, we'll do equine dentistry first, and then just in rodeo in general as a competitor, and then some advice that you have for parents. Okay, so the advice I have for anybody wanting to get into the equine dentistry field is definitely travel with the equine dentist first. Um, go with them. Make sure that it's something that you really are passionate about. Because I've had people come with me and they're like, oh, this is what I want to do. And then after the week, they're like, this is not what I want to do. This is yeah. completely different. Um so just like anything else, be an apprentice, um, go and um, travel with somebody and make sure that this is something that you really, really want to do. Um, mm -hmm. It's a great, it's a great um, field. I'm self-employed. I travel a lot. I get to meet and hang out with people all the time, just like you guys, you know, I mean, I come to your house, I'm working for you, but I'm also your friend and you're, you open your home up to me. And I've, I, I, I have so many people like you guys and, and it just makes my day. So yeah. um yeah, it, it's a great, it's a great job. And I'm very passionate about it. Mm -hmm. um, as far as anybody wanting to get into the rodeo industry, the rodeo fields, it's one of the best that you can ever find. Um, Blaine said it really well in one of his speeches that he wrote. How many um, events do we have now that everyone stands for um, the national anthem? Everyone prays um, before they compete you know, everyone is, it, when, when you say rodeo family, it is a family. From the minute that Troy and I were competing, we had children at the rodeos, you would hand the, your kid off to somebody and they would watch them while you roped. And now th this day and age, we're doing the same thing for some of the kids that we were holding, you know? Mm -hmm. um, it, it's one big family and, and everyone is there helping everyone. Everyone's there cheering everybody on. Um, I love watching the camaraderie at the junior high rodeos of all these kids. They are there competing against each other, but I promise you they're the first one to slap hands um, on the way out of the gate. Mm -hmm. um, so as far as that goes, just the 
the children and the youth, um, it brings them so much closer and gives them so much more of a, 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 com a camaraderie. But uh, yeah. so what else? Um, what advice do you have like for kids who are competing, like who are already competing and they're in it? Like uh, advice as a fellow competitor, not as a mom, okay. just as a fellow competitor. Not as a, not as a mom. I will, I will again take the words of one of Blaine's speeches. Um, be a good human and you will go far. Like um, Blaine also said in one of his deals, practice like you've never won and, or what is it? Practice practice like you've never lost and perform like you've never won or vice versa or whatever it was. I can't remember. Yeah. What but I that's a, perform like you've never lost practice. Like you've never won. There you go. Um, yeah. I, I couldn't remember what it was, but, yeah. uh, that's a really good statement as well. You know, I mean, your practice pin, you, you go to the practice pin with a, a mission. You don't just go to the practice pin just to rope. It, you, you go there for, I, I'm, today I'm going to work on getting my tip down or, you know, working on getting my rope up out of the box. Something, um, you want to, like I said, practice for a purpose. Yes. I love that. And that's something like, I'm actually in Arizona where your family, your husband is staying right now. Yes. <laughs> Which is kind of funny how that flip-flopped happened. Um, Absolutely. But yeah, like today I went and, and practiced and it's just been a while. And sometimes like, I just needed to practice to see where I was at in a new arena and all of that. But like tomorrow, like I know what I need to work on. I know what my horses need. We've got the fresh with the excitement worn off. And, you know, we've got specific points that we're going to work on in the corner where my horse, when I'm healing, he wants to crowd the corner a little bit. So staying a little bit wider, staying a little bit back, you know, seeing those kinds of things. Um, yeah. Finding those, finding those little things when you're practicing to make your practice matter. And it has a purpose, like you said. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, and another thing um, you always have to remember as a competitor, you know, that's been roping for such a long time. I can remember being younger and the, the people that I looked up to, you know, Kim Maxwell, all those guys, mm -hmm. they were always there to lend a helping hand. They, they were always that person that you knew was, like I said, a good human and, and wanted to help and, and was always there. Be that person, be that mm -hmm. person that you want someday you know as, as a kid in in or just you know I, i'm i'm talking like to your younger kids be that yeah. person that you look up to that that person that you look up to be that person now because there may be someone younger than you looking up to you as it is now and yeah. i always tell i always tell blame that i was so blame that even though you're 13 you might have a seven-year-old that looks up to you always go and help that that kid so be the person that you you know always look up to be that that type of uh, friend um, always want to help and do that. So, yeah. Well, and I think, you know, I did this leadership program and one thing that they talked about a lot is how even as adults, we have this little, the little kid, the little girl inside of me or the little boy yeah. inside of you. And I think as adults as well, it's important for us to be the person that the little girl that we were would look up to. And I Absolutely. think that, you know, no matter what age we are, we always can check ourselves and say, if I was seven years old, would I look up and would I be happy with the person that I am today? And that's really been a game changer for me and like learning how to balance that battle um, with my inner self, my inner little girl has really been a game changer for me too and, and helped me step up and realize like, 
oh, I'm acting this way. She wouldn't be impressed by that. Like, that's not who I wanted yep. to be when I grew up. And so making that shift. And I think that's a good one for all adults to remember too, because I do believe that kids these days are the way they are because of adults these days. So we get to check ourselves as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> okay. So the last question is, um, what advice do you have for your fellow parents? Oh my heaven for my fellow parents. Um, that's a tough one. Okay. So for the parents that are just starting, so my advice for the parents that are just starting, um, just kind of the same things that we've talked over, let your kids experience, um, you know, the, the good, the bad and the ugly. Um, don't try to take that away from them. They're, they're going to win some, they're going to lose some. It's not always just about, you know, the buckle or anything like that. It's the experience along the way, you know, um, go into a rodeo, uh, you know, win, lose, or draw, always be there for them and help them out. So mm -hmm. I, I, I don't loved know. lately. I have seen this. It's popped up time and time again. And, you know, it goes along with just letting them make the mistakes. And it's, it's something along the lines of let your kids do stupid things carefully or something yes. along those lines or, or dumb things like let them break down, let them fail, let them, let them fail in a support system so that they can learn from it. Like I'm kind of a win or learn, I never lose kind of mentality. That's our, our quote for the ambassadors that we have that, you know, that there's always something to learn and let them learn the lessons, let them make the mistakes. And there's always good that comes from it if you structure it correctly, but you have to let them. Absolutely. You said that very well. <laughs> I, I study that stuff. And it's like one of those things, you know, like you have these moments where all of a sudden like TikTok, it comes up on Facebook, it comes up Instagram. And it's like that one quote has been coming to me like 10 times over the last two weeks. So I'm trying to share it because I think it's a, it's a healthy thing to remember for Absolutely. myself too. <laughs> yes. Well, awesome. Thank you so much for being on the show today, Brooke. Um, this was so cool. Like we've had multiple conversations about, you know, dentistry and all of that over the last few years. Um, so I've learned so much from you, but there's still just so much you don't know. And every single time I do one of these podcasts with people that I've known my whole life, you get to see a whole nother side of them when they share, share their stories. And I, I think when when you share your story, it's it's something that other kids can say, oh, okay, now I know more about equine dentistry. This would be kind of cool. And you, there's just, we all, every single person on this earth has something to share and a story to tell. And so I love listening to them and I appreciate you taking the time to be on the show today. And I look forward to hearing what other people think too. All right. Thank you guys again. I really appreciate you asking to be on the show. I had a great time. Thank you for tuning in to the rodeokids.com podcast. How cool is it to learn from somebody who has so much experience and in a field that is really important for us to learn about. If you like the podcast or you know somebody who could relate to the equine dentistry or is interested in it, please share it with them on social media, through text message, however you prefer to communicate. And also give us a like and a follow on your favorite podcast listening app. And you can also find us on the Rodeo Kids Facebook, TikTok, and Instagram. Until next time, good luck, safe travels, and God bless.